poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's return guest on CPG is the author of A Girl's Guide to Poker, the always brilliant and engaging Amanda Botfeld. Despite her book tour being on ice because of a global pandemic, Amanda hasn't been sitting around resting on her laurels. Not only has she been studying and growing as a poker player, she's also been creating and teaching a college-level poker course for the next generation of card players. In the following conversation, you're going to hear me get fired up at some despicable internet trolls who are so miserable and have so little going on in their lives that they feel the need to tear someone down who's doing everything in her power to grow and popularize this game. The reason why that touched a nerve with me is because if the next poker boom is meant to come from a large influx of women entering the poker world, it will be exactly because of folks like Amanda Botfeld, and in spite of the slimy trolls who exist only to ooze out of their sewers and spread their awfulness. And if you're as passionate about growing this beautiful game as much as Amanda and I, and you want to see it thriving for many, many years to come, highly consider either scooping up a copy of Amanda's book or directing a human being you love in your life to PokerPower.com. That's Poker, P-O-W-H-E-R.com. And in today's episode with Amanda Botfeld, you're going to learn Amanda's path to teaching a college poker course, how poker has touched almost every aspect of Amanda's life, and much, much more. Now, without any further ado, I bring to you a poker pro, author, and teacher, the thoughtful and articulate grower of poker, Amanda Botfeld. Amanda, welcome back to Chasing Poker Greatness. How you doing? Good. I am glad to be back. Thank you so much for the second invitation. Yeah, and hopefully there will be more invitations down down the line as well. We were just talking in the the pre-interview conversation about how, well, I was talking about how I've lost all sense of space and time. I'm not exactly sure when, you know, your first episode came out. It feels, it could have been anywhere from three months to a year ago. That's like the time frame that I'm confident, but I don't know where it exists in that time frame. Uh, The range, right? Yeah, it's a range, right? We, we got to play the range. What's been happening in the time since you came on the first episode and then today? Let's catch the listener up on your life since then. Sure. Well, I am engaged. I'm getting married next week. Um, so poker love story. We met at a poker table three years ago. So yeah. That's- exciting. Um, and then I've been uh, deepening my involvement with Poker Power. Um, which we can talk more about at for length. sure. For yeah, sure. which um, is an organization um, that we teach women how to play poker. With the idea being that um, the skills in, that we learn in poker are applicable to women in business. And then, I guess the final thing, which I'm very excited about, is uh, Santa Monica College. It's a community college in Los Angeles. 
I am now teaching a poker class there online. So that has been great. I did it's a six week class. I did the, uh, I taught it, it just ended about two weeks ago. And then we're gonna do the same thing again in September. So another six weeks poker strategy at Santa Monica College. Bodfeld, how'd you get that gig? That sounds like a really fun gig. And it is a really fun gig, right? Um, I knew someone else who was teaching a different course at Santa Monica College. Um, and I asked him the same question. <laughs> I said, how'd you get that? How'd you get that? And, uh, you know, I obviously have been teaching with Poker Power for over a year. I have my book, A Girl's Guide to Poker. You know, I do a lot of teaching beginners how to play poker, even though the class is beginner to intermediate. Um, and, and I was able to get the gig. They said, all right, you can teach it. Yeah. Like you're, you're good. This is, if I remember correctly, it, when you ever, you wrote a girl's guide to poker, you just like reached out to DNB and they're like, okay, <laughs> write, write a book. Okay. Teach this class. <laughs> good memory. Good memory. Well, yes. Um, on the one hand, it was very nice. Um, on the other hand, it's, you know, how like you fire up a million tournaments and you just never know which one is going to hit. And then the one that hits, it just feels like a sun run and it's easy, but all the others don't. That's kind of how my life is, you know, especially with like writing projects and like landing gigs and stuff like that. It's like you email a million places and it just feels like none of it's, you know, responding. And then the one that does, they're like, okay, great, teach a class or great, write a book. You know, it's just like, then you win the tournament. So I feel like it's the same concept. Um, I, uh, so I think we spoke about, I used to be a writer in politics. Sure, yep. mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I was 23, I believe when I was 23, so the 22 or 23, um, I got an article published in the wall street journal. And a lot of people asked me a similar question. They're like, how'd you get that? Right. Who'd you know? I didn't know anybody. What would happen is literally like every Friday night, you know, I would, you know, my senior year of college, uh, I'd make an Irish coffee and I would like write my brilliant thoughts about, you know, what's going on in the world. And I would literally just shoot it off to op-ed at New York Times, op-ed at Wall Street Journal, op-ed at LA Times. And I would do this every week and it would never work. Um, and then a year later, I just get an email back from one of the editors of Wall Street Journal, right? We're running your article in two days. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like that. It's like you fire up a million tournaments and then you bink one. And mm -hmm. so uh, one of them binks and one of them binks. So, um, that's kind of how I do my life. <laughs> I think that's how most people do their life. Honestly, I think a lot of times success from the outside looks like an overnight venture or something that just kind of like sprung up from nothing. When the reality is like, even when I started this podcast, right, because I've been a poker player for now pretty much my entire adult life, I knew that the path from like the couch to final table is full of pitfalls and failures and existential crises and just all these things. And that was sort of like the point of chasing poker greatness was like, let's dive deep into these failures so that we can see like where this success came from. Because as somebody that's been in this space, I know that 
I don't have any friend. I've never had any contact in the poker world that hasn't had just a full on emotional breakdown caused by this game of poker. So like the pain is very, very real, but from the outside, you're like, oh, well, you know, Fedor just like woke up one day and was the best poker player in the world. And that's just not how shit goes down. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. You have to do your homework. Tell me, in that vein, had you pursued any projects in poker that didn't come to fruition before you inquired about the teaching gig? Let me think about that question. Any projects in poker that I pursued that did not come to fruition? The book was pretty instant. Uh, I got to say, I emailed right when I got that done. Um, Okay. <laughs> poker world right. is poker world might be much more accepting than the uh, journalistic world yeah um you know a big uh like i've only been playing poker for about three years right and where i kind of cut my teeth was playing all the daily tournaments right and it was and those don't get recorded online and it was like you know i won my very first poker tournament i ever entered with the dailies then they like had like a leaderboard at the MGM casino in Maryland where I was playing. And I like got in the top 10 on the leaderboard and all these different things happened and they're all with the dailies. So nothing's recorded. Right. And I have basically like $2,000 in my hand and mob and then COVID happened. And then I wasn't really able to play anything. And so I think probably my biggest obstacle in advancing in poker is it's almost like I don't have a resume. Like other than like, you know, I've done a lot and I, I used to be, you know, I used to teach like second grade, like Sunday school. And so, so I've like taught a lot of classes, you know, I, I can credibly speak to being a teacher and teaching beginners. And I um, can credibly, you know, kind of do the whole like beginners game, but anything else, like I've literally been destroyed in online forums and torn apart and in tears. Like I've, like when I first posted my Santa Monica college class, people were making fun of me about it. Um, Why? And, they screenshotted my hand and mom. That's it? Yeah. And they, wow. and, um, and I got eviscerated to the point where I stopped promoting it. Um, because on those, you know, platforms on Facebook and even the same thing happened in uh, all women's poker groups. So I would, it's not a direct answer, like something that didn't go through, but that's probably, it's just been really, really tough with, you know, everything I did was daily tournaments and cash games. How did you, how'd you feel getting that blowback just because you didn't have a hinted mob? Oh, in tears. Um, and very frustrated, you know, I'm living in Mexico right now. We're in Cabo San Lucas, my fiance. I'm not, you know, I like, I played two or three tournaments. Well, I played two tournaments and I rebound one once, right? I, for like a poker power trip in July. And I like cashed in one of them at the Venetian. And I was like, so happy that I got like some even result, you know? Um, and all right. Um, but other than that, I just haven't really had opportunities. And it's very, very frustrating for me. And it just feels like, I don't know, it, it feels like I am going through my life, like missing a degree, you know? Yeah. Let me, so first of all, to address the criticism that you received, yeah. like if anybody listening to Chasing Poker Greatness right now is one of those people, just shut off the fucking show and don't, don't this listen again. This is not a podcast. I am not going yeah. to be able <laughs> yeah. to um, 
satisfy your no 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 uh, i don't listen to any of my shows ever again period don't listen to future ones or past ones just don't because like that's just unacceptable like we like I, I demand better from my audience to just treat people with more respect than that like that's just fucking bullshit and also too like you can look up my hinted mob like look up my hinted mob there's nothing there let's fucking throw down and play some cards because the reality is like hinted mob is not the fucking end all be all as it relates to poker skill levels and poker talent so anybody out there that does stuff like that stop tearing people down it doesn't make you bigger focus on yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and only and let's just go from there right so that's i just had to get that out there um on the podcast because like this is something that just instantly fires me up well i'm gonna think about this at night and it's honestly it makes me feel better than i can express so thank you um uh, yeah but i did um you know circling the reason why i was able to kind of get the gigs that I did was because I had a pretty seasoned background as a writer. And um, that's how I pitched my book. I was like, I'm a very good writer. So, and a lot of poker books are not written by writers, right? They're written by poker players. Sure. Yeah. Very, very true. We can tell. <laughs> you can tell by reading them that they're written by poker players. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. Um, so, Actually, let's kind of go back to you teaching the course, or actually we can go back to Poker Power and yeah. talk about how you got involved with that group and then how that experience has been. Oh, it's been wonderful. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, they reached out to me in a Facebook group. They were, you know, looking for um, women who could, you know, teach and talk about poker. Um, and I was interested in getting involved with them. And I started teaching classes and absolutely loved it. And, you know, one of my favorite examples that I think I heard before I went on your last podcast, sorry, after, after I went on your last podcast, um, was we had these uh, two women, they were sisters in our classes and very smart women. Uh, they went to business school, they have a company, right? They're actually twins. They have like a twin store and a marketing agent and they're cute, right? Um, and they said, why poker power? And they said, you know what? We went to a women's conference and we hated it. And we were just completely left with all the obstacles that face women, all the issues that face women. And it just made us feel extremely depressed. And then we went to poker power and it was like, wow, now there's something I can do about it. You know, it's like actionable advice. Like, okay, you're having problems with your confidence. Raise your hands, you know, don't limp. Don't just like you know, not commit things and not commit chips unless you know how it's going to work out, right? Um, you know, start bluffing, try to make moves, try to be rewarded for smart decision-making immediately, you know, regardless of all the other factors of Yeah, society, stop playing so passively. Let's be more aggressive. Oh, yeah, let's get our heads in the game. And it was like, all of a sudden, there's a way we can exercise agency and do something and be and feel big in the world. Yeah. And so your experience with them throughout the past year, rewarding one, um, how's it been? Oh, it's been rewarding. It's been energizing. It's been a great space. Um, and now we're uh, expanding to teaching at some universities um, or MBA programs as well through Poker Power, um, like the Northwestern Kellogg Business School. That's been fantastic. I believe that class was waiting listed. It was so popular. There we go. Uh, yeah, so very, very exciting, very rewarding. Um, it's funny, though, because 
you know, sometimes I teach women who are twice my age and three times more accomplished than me, like in the real world, right? And like life, like I'll like teach like banker type, like women who like run companies and who are like big names. And I'm like, you know, don't get tilted, right? Right? Like, it, it feel, you know, cause it's, they don't know how to play poker. They don't know that queen eight of diamonds is not an amazing hand, right? Um, and they, you know, and so they don't have any poker expertise, but their knowledge elsewhere in life. And even when we teach these uh, MBA business school programs, you're just dealing with such incredibly smart, competent women. And it's yeah. really funny to that you say that exact yeah. example of Queen Eight of Diamonds, because so it's not so different out there for like me as a cash game player who's traveled around and played in you know, big games against very successful people. Uh, one guy that I had a friendship with, Max, um, he is a billionaire, owned a just giant clothing brand and just court, just like four jets, the, the brand owned like four jets. And I mean, just like lived in a $70 million house in Beverly Hills and just like, wow, nice. he's done some shit in the world, right? Like he, he's had some success. Um, but in the poker space, not so much. He's like a legendary whale. And I remember one time, like he was asking me, trying to learn poker for me, which is like, again, kind of funny because, you know, I'm this like 27 year old person who has only played poker and has had no success in any other area in life, really, at that point. Yeah. Um, and he looked down at Queen Eight of Spades. And I remember being like, yeah, just fold that, Max. And he's like, what? What I, do you mean? This is a great hand. I can't fold this. I have to play. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. But it was just funny. No, that, like, I relate to that completely. The same exact hand and same exact situation I encountered, which is just funny. It's, it's real, right? Yes. It's they're like shocked and they don't really believe you. Like they'll do it to like humor you. Right. But you can. But Max wouldn't like, even do it to humor me. Yeah. 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 That much, yeah, yeah. Um, but on with what I've learned from Poker Power, on a little bit more serious note, in terms of our mission, right now we're really honing in, and we've defined. You know, we're still a startup, but we've um, really recognized that our best audience is corporate women. Um, but before, we were just kind of testing with women of all different demographics, right? And one of the, and I was teaching a lot of high school clubs. And the difference between the high school clubs and the adult women clubs was night and day. And what happened is at first, I felt like I was teaching these degenerate gamblers. Okay. Cause the high schoolers, they were these 15 year olds. They were not getting it. They were all in every hand bluffing every street, just going cuckoo bananas. Right. Um, with their friends. And then I had an epiphany and I was like, wait, 15 year old boys are not playing perfect poker. Right. Like, like they're doing the same thing. They're just trying to like, you know, rawr, like come out there, you know, and make moves and, you know, kind of being over aggressive. Right. And then when flash forward, you know, to when you're teaching 50 year old women and the game becomes the default becomes the opposite. It becomes, let's not make mistakes. Let's not put chips in the middle. I'm going to limp the ace jack, you know, stuff like that. And so really what we're trying to do is we're trying to catch women before that happens. Right. Um, especially with these like MBA programs, uh, because something happens between 15 and 50, and you could call that life, 
where all of a sudden, you know, we get shell shocked. And it's and all of a sudden the default switches from making moves and being over aggressive to being under aggressive. And that's what we're here for. It's a great metaphor for life, really. I think that yes. the young the young kids are less risk averse because they've got less to lose. And as you progress in your career, you have more to lose. And so that makes you be more risk averse. And so you exercise caution instead of, you know, the aggression of like a 20 or 21 year old, because like a 20 or 21 year old, like what's the worst that happens to them, right? They just get like rejected a billion times. I mean, it's not like life or death here, right? But like you're 55 or 60 and like you have a family and people, you have responsibilities, people depend on you. You've got a lot, a lot much, a lot more to lose. Well, that reminds me, it's funny with having family because I listened to an old not super old, but like a few years old interview uh, with Daniel Negrano. And he was asked who should be like the next face of poker? Like who, you know, what would be your ideal person to win the world series of poker main event, blah, blah, blah. What would really uh, catapult poker? And one, and one thing he was saying was he said, what he liked about Joe Hashem when he won the main event is that he was already an established person with like who knew who he was, who had a family, you know, who um, could be a face versus then you have some of these younger guys that win and they're just not as defined yet, right? You don't really have um, the same level of like life and personality development. So it makes it harder to go on a talk show. Yeah. And two, like they're also less mature. And so they don't really understand. <laughs> they don't understand. I mean, they, they just don't understand like the downstream responsibilities or the po- even possibilities and opportunities that you can get from, you know, accomplishing such a major, major thing like winning the WSOP main event. Yeah, well, my favorite hand, this is a kind of, you know, this is a poker hand, but I, I know your audience can handle tech- talking about the hands, right? Yeah. I think so. I think I, they I got think so. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. The ones who are still listening after my tirade earlier. Thank you. All right, so... <laughs> In my uh, Santa Monica College class, my um, one of my favorite hands to show. We like watch a lot of poker hands and talk about it, right? It's the the year that Jamie Gold won the main event. Was that two thousand six or two thousand eight? I'm not exactly sure. I, I, okay. it, it was, I think, the year after Hashem because it was like the biggest one ever. Probably two thousand six ish. Probably six. It was, yeah, it was the biggest main event ever, and you're down to the final three in the main event, right? One guy has ace ten. The flop is like 10, 6, 5, two spades. The flop's 10, 6, 5, two spades. First guy all in with ace 10, short stack, right? Jamie Gold's got 4, 3, so he's open-ended. He reshoves all in, right? It's 10, 6, 5, two spades. And then you're down to the last guy, Paul Wasika, who has uh, 8, 7 of spades. So he's open-ended with the flush draw and you got two guys all in in front of you and not only are you like thinking about like the immediate pay jump but you're thinking of what it would mean to win the world series of poker main event have that title and you can see the percentages he's like a little bit over 50 percent favorite with the straight and the flush draw right and which uh, yeah have. yeah well because of the tray four is has like <laughs> the tray <Yeah>. four is- <laughs> Need some help there. It needs some help, right? Well, so you're watching it, you're, you're the percentages, and like I think he's like a 56% favorite, something very close to that, or like 54. And he's like in absolute distress. And he is like, he's 
beside himself. And I think if he saw the percentages, it wouldn't help at all. If, when, if someone told you, you know what, 56% of the time, you're going to like go on and win the um, main event. And, you know, with all the millions that comes with that and then be the name and be the guy and all the everything being the face of it. And then 45% or 44% of the time, sorry, you're out. But you get second, actually. But yeah, but you get second, but you get second. Yeah, not the worst. So what, not the worst, right? And so what happens is he folds. He would have won the hand, by the way. He would have made the flush, right? And everyone knows who Jamie Gold is and no one knows who Paul Wasik is. Well, I know who Paul Wasik is. Well, okay. Well, some people, okay. Well, some, okay. So some people do, but like mainstream, mainstream yeah. people know, people know Jamie Gold. Whereas like at a, if you're sitting at a poker table at, you know, casino in Los Angeles. Um, most people probably don't know who Paul Wasik is. Even, even though Paul Wasik is a beast, even to this day, he's a beast. And I, I can, I can say like from personal experience, I've played yeah. with Jamie Gold. I wish Paul Wasika would have called all in there. Um, <laughs> um, and just because what Jamie Gold did on camera was not out of the ordinary for him. Like it was like, oh boy, every hand that gets played was taking like 10 minutes. There was just so much talking. I'm just like, dude, please shut up, fold your hand. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, yeah. But I think Paul Paul Wasika, I, I think even in the moment I was rooting for Paul Wasika, but probably all poker players were, I think, watching that final table play down. Yeah, well, it's just a fun hand. You can't blame him, you know? I mean, you can just see the, like, magnitude of the decision and the agony and, like, um, I, I just... I think the biggest question there is mm-hmm. that, like, Paul Wasika had a, a very sizable skill advantage over Jamie Gold, I think, leading to heads up but still that's like a spot that's it's very tough to pass up because you don't know if you're going to get anything comparable moving forward just through the nature of like heads up poker right totally totally yeah the swings there absolutely so um it's a good hand that's a really fun hand i know it's a fun hand you can watch it on youtube yeah it's like you're in my class but uh it's it's so good and it's like um yeah i I wonder about that hand, you know, all the time. Um, well, what, it, what, what about Farha, right? Farha could have just called Moneymaker's Bluff. Like, there's a lot of these these hands where just, like, sort of the fate of poker, like, hinged on this one decision. Or, like, I actually think, though, as it relates to the Moneymaker Farha thing, I think somebody would have taken up the baton and poker would have exploded. I think it was just, like, right on the verge. And somebody else could have been Moneymaker, Uh, could have done the moneymaker effect, but yeah, that one was, that's another one that's like, wow, really big deal that Farha folded when moneymaker ran that big bluff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, a few hands prior, um, moneymaker got very lucky against Phil Ivy. Yeah. With like nine left. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it was like, it was like the final table bubble. I think it was a set of nines and the flop was like queen nine, something. The turn was a queen and the river, (laughs) they got it all in and the river was an ace. Yeah, Phil Ivey, exactly. Phil Ivey had a set, and then and Chris Moneymaker said top pair, and it just came yeah. run. You just yeah, run um, runner boat, no big deal. Run runner boat, and people, you know, but all you get is the accolades for, which understandable, right? You know, the sun run. Um, well, I'm getting first, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the nature of high variance in tournaments that, like, you can 
do all the right things and get the exact wrong result. And nobody knows who the fuck you are 20 years from now. Um, yeah. Except, well, everybody does kind of know who Phil Ivey is, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different story for a different day. That is a different story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just like, it's crazy how, you know, one card not only changes the outcome for the tournament, but changes, you know, who we know, right? Exactly. Um, to your point about, I don't know if anyone could have, um, but I, I interviewed the gambling historian when I was writing my book, the University of Nevada. He was amazing. His name's David Schwartz. He has his own book on like history of casinos and stuff like that. He'd probably be a good guest for your show too. If you, um, but anyways, um, he said it wasn't just moneymaker that made poker explode. He said it was the invention of the whole camp. And all of a sudden poker became so much more watchable. And he said, the problem is, you know, when you play, like, you don't want to play a basketball game over and over again, like a bar, because people know who wins and therefore it's not as fun to watch. But you can play a poker hand in the background and you can kind of jump in at any point and it doesn't matter if you know who won the tournament because you don't know who won the hand, right? Right. And, and I mean, the whole card cam mixed with like satellites and online poker exploding, like all of those were like the ingredients for the poker boom. Yeah. And, you know, they seem as good. It was like very Hollywood, like Sammy Farha with this like unlit cigarette and the suit versus like Chris Moneymaker. You couldn't have arranged it better. Like you, you couldn't yeah. like you couldn't have scripted it better than the way that it just organically turned out. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It really is. Um, speaking of pretty cool, right? Like we talked in our conversation last time, uh, about you meeting your now fiance that you're, you will be married, um, by the time this episode drops, uh, at a poker table, which is like another one of those things where you just make a decision one random night to go play poker and boom, something happens. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, so we met at a poker table in LA, mm -hmm. right? And you know, and we talked and it was good, but you know, he was, uh, he's from Ireland. He was visiting and I just, we weren't looking to like really start anything. So it's like, we talked, we got like a drink at the bar and then, um, you know, we parted our separate ways and it was like, whatever type thing. Right. And three weeks later, it was my first time in Vegas since having, uh, learned how to play poker. And it was his first time in Vegas, like ever visiting from Ireland and of all the casinos in Vegas. I walk in and I see him there and, and it was good. pretty, yeah, it, it, just, it felt like, you know, it just it, too crazy to be coincidence. And we've been, and that was three years ago and we've been together ever since. So it was like, um, we got like the second, <laughs> the second chance, right? It was like, what are you doing here? Type <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta give in to fate, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I, I transitioned us to, you know, your, <laughs> to your fiance and getting married. Let's go back to, you know, you were talking about the, the Wasika gold three-way hand and your class and how your class was going. Yeah. Um, well, this was my, uh, first time teaching it. Um, so, and then they signed me up to teach it again in September, um, Wednesday nights on zoom at Santa Monica college. It was terrifying because, um, you know, when I was speaking to Poker Power, we said it's just so absolutely important that this is a completely different program. And I completely understand that. And, you know, what we offer at Poker Power is we offer hands-on instruction. And you really get to practice playing. And the idea is you've never played poker ever. And we just really hold your hand through the whole thing. 
This course, the, the course that I teach on my own is very different. Um, and it's longer, it's 90 minutes. There is no in-app practice. You're not practicing playing. It's literally like a college lecture where we like watch videos, you know, have PowerPoint notes, discuss it on a more um, theoretical intellectual level. And it's, it, it assumes basically the audience of that course is like, you know how to play poker because you've been playing with your cousin, but you don't know how to beat it at a casino yet type thing. It's like, it assumes that you already kind of, that you already have a baseline level of knowledge of poker. Yes. And want to like transition to intermediate. Um, so it was terrifying because it was completely me like creating the curriculum for that. And I needed to, you know, take care to make sure it was something completely different. And then it's also 90 minutes, right? So like creating PowerPoints and like classes that last 90 minutes long um, was really tough. But, you know, I had such tremendous uh, retention. As a matter of fact, I didn't even have anyone drop the class and it was almost completely, not only was it pretty much perfect attendance every day, but people that missed had to miss a class. They always asked for a recording of it. Wow. So I took that as like um, a really, really high success rate. So um, I'm, I'm very uh, proud of it. I, you're talking about creating a 90 minute PowerPoint presentation. How many days a week and One how long? One day a week, six weeks. So six, six of these. Six okay. Okay. That's, that's a lot of work. It's not, it's not undoable, I guess it, it's doable. We you're like a 60 minute PowerPoint presentation. I do one of these a month for poker coaching. That's like six, uh, oh, yeah. six, 60 minutes PowerPoint. And like, they can range from taking me, uh, depending on my level of laziness that month. Sometimes it's like reviewing a student video or ask like, uh, just, aggregating questions that I answer. Those are like <laughs> the, the easy mode, um, webinars that I do. But like when you build something from scratch and like, you have to research it and you have to tie everything together and you have to make it linear and you you have to like, make sure that people are understanding it. I mean, this is like a 10 hour journey for me to put together one, one hour PowerPoint oh. presentation. And like, that's just, that's a lot. Um, that's a lot of energy into this, this one thing. And so, yeah, six 90 minute ones, that's a lot of effort that you had to go through. And a lot of like logistical planning too, of like, how do we structure this thing? Um, where do we go from each week to each week? Because for people who haven't taught, that's just part of the process that is, uh, <laughs> it can be tough. Oh, absolutely. You know what I found was, uh, resonating the most were just literally watching those poker hands on YouTube, but like talking about it and like pausing it and being like, what's going on here and being able to like, like with that Paul Waska hand, talk about all the other factors, you know, like you said, like, you know what, there's a skill edge to factor in as well. I believe Jonathan Little, he said before, he's like, which makes sense. He's like, the greater you believe your skill edge to be, the less marginal spots you have to take. Right. It's, um, there was a hand described from forever ago, Miami John Cernudo versus Daniel Negreanu. They were heads up and Negreanu basically said, John Cernudo has a skill edge against me. And because he does, I'm just going to play very high variance and just look to get the money in very often in, um, high variant spots so that it kind of reduces or minimizes the skill edge that 
John Cernudo has against me. And there was a few important takeaways for me from that statement is that like, A, it's pretty cool to see the level of self-awareness that he had in the moment, recognizing that like John Cernudo is a better player than me at this stage in our careers. And then two, like, how do we go about neutralizing that edge without just like going into passive mode and trying to get into these like super deep spots where John Cernudo is likely going to outplay me. It's like, yeah, let's ramp up the variance so that, you know, I make, make it more of a crapshoot so that I can get lucky and minimize the skill edge, which, yeah, it's just a very intelligent way of thinking about poker. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the, one of the last classes we do in my SMC one is Daniel Negrano has that series old school versus new school where he like talks about the same hand and how his thinking was back in the day when he played the hand and then how we think about it now. And so we like, you know, talk about how things have changed, like GTO versus exploitative and all that stuff. So it's great getting into Daniel Negrano's head and how he analyzes it. I remember when I was first learning poker and I picked up a bunch of poker books and most of them I couldn't understand, which is what inspired me to write mine. But there was one that was actually um, pretty good. It was a, uh, it's called, it was like part of the kill Phil series. And basically I remember um, it said that whenever, if you ever get to the final table and your head's up and you don't know how to play, go all in every hand. And that's, and that's just what it's, and you're, and it's the same con it's like, you know what, if you're a beginner and just don't know how to play heads up at all by trying to make it 50, 50, you probably have, you definitely have a better shot than if you were to try to play on your own, you know, if you're just starting off. Right. I mean, seven news off has 35% equity against ace king, right? So like basically the earlier decisions in the tree, the equities run much closer together. And the later decisions in the tree, so the river, they run very far apart because it's either 100 or zero, right? So like at each stage of the game, um, the equities kind of diverge. So like pre-flop, they're the closest on the flop. They're a little bit more space out on the turn. They're a lot space out to where like a lot of equities run like 80, 20, and then the river is 100, zero. So engaging where the equities run much closer is just, yeah, it, it's a smart way to go about it if you don't really know what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I didn't even think of it that way, but that completely makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've had to think about these things. This is, <laughs> this is something that gets stated like in my private coaching sessions, um, just all the time I use this, the podcast listener can't see, but I have these like diamond pins that my wife uses to give out for her, uh, <laughs> to our clients at her business. But, um, like, this is how I imagine equities in my head of like, this is yeah. pre-flop at the beginning. And like, this is the flop. And this is the turn. And then like, this is the river. And they just get farther apart at wow. each stage of the game tree. For those of you on the podcast, if you know, like the less than or greater sign, it looks like, like that, like a shark mouth. <laughs> yeah. The shark mouth. Um, the shark mouth, right. Where it's like at the little point um, or like a V, like a sidewards V at the little point that's close together. And then it just further and further and further apart. Exactly. Exactly. So are you teaching this again? Like, is this like an ongoing, ongoing gig? And I guess the good news is once you've made your slideshows and presentations, you can kind of repurpose them. And it's a, it's a lot easier moving forward. Exactly. I'm definitely teaching it Wednesday nights in September through Santa Monica college. I'm not sure if I'm going to teach it after it's been very fun, a lot of fun, also a lot of work. Um, and 
They're also, you know, this has been great during uh, COVID. They've allowed us to teach online. Uh, as you know, teaching a live poker class is a lot more cumbersome when it comes to like, you know, then they expect you to shuffle and deal cards and like all these things, which then your, uh, your ability to teach as many people just goes way down. Yeah. And you yeah. need to be getting paid pretty well, I think, living yeah. uh, near UC Santa Barbara, right? Uh, Santa Monica. Santa, Santa Monica. Monica. Even, more. even, even <laughs> still, that, that's, yeah, that might be worse. Yeah, yeah, Santa Monica College. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, they've talked to me about it. Like, can we bring it live? To which I'm kind of like, no. Um, plus, you know, I like that you don't have to deal with LA traffic, right? When you're, yeah, online and you can be from anywhere and all these things. And then there's the fact that, um, you know, since it's only six weeks, uh, and people are paying for it, you know, they want that recording if they miss a class. You know, I had like um, people say to me like, hey, you know, I'm going on a trip with my family. I want to sign up for your class, but can I record the session that I'm going to miss that week? You know, and, th and that makes sense, right? Um, since you're, you're paying for it. But uh, so I don't know if I'm going to teach it after this September six weeks. I'm going to see, probably uh, teach again in the future, but it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Yeah. Well, it's a good experience nonetheless and something to Absolutely. keep you occupied during the pandemic lockdown stuff. Um, yeah. I think the la last time we talked to uh, your book, it hadn't, it had been released, but it hadn't been, um, I guess, promoted and, and all of the things because of obviously the pandemic stuff. So how, how has your book done since the past conversation to today? You know, it's starting to just kind of like pick up a little bit of momentum gradually. So it's it's doing better now, which I'm very happy about. Um, and I think, you know, Poker Power has been incredibly supportive as well. We give our, the book away at lots of events. Uh, so better, um, we're going to see during the World Series of Poker, uh, my publisher, D&B Poker, they usually have a booth there, but I'm not sure if we're going to this year, given um, all the logistics and who knows now what's uncertainties. going on with yeah. yeah, and uncertainties because um, and they're based abroad, so uh, it's a lot to coordinate. So we'll we'll whenever the world opens up, we'll do like a, you know, a book signing and like formal like run out and promotion. But right now, it's kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine your partnership with Poker Power is been really good for the book, just because like that's a natural audience that would yeah. be receptive and want to read it. So like that, like that sort of connection just makes a ton of sense as it relates to like generating book sales, increasing audience and all the stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing the team and the quality of instructors we have, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a book with the world's biggest poker book publisher and I am completely dwarfed, you know, by the other women on our team. You know, we have Schwan Liu, who I believe is in like the top 20 um top female poker pros in the world um she she's got a hand in mob all right she's gotten the millions right and she's incredible very very kind person and then uh kind england one of our instructors she has had the most amazing uh run this year i believe on the gpi she like global poker index she's one of in the top 10 ranked female players like right up there with kristen bicknell and you know, she had a really, really big tournament score a few months ago. And then um, over summer, oh, it's still summer, but like in July, she was at the 
goodness, it was that big tournament. And of the final table, where there's like a million dollars up top, and of the final table, of the final six players, three of them were women. And she ended up being the last woman standing. And I believe she got fourth for like half a million dollars. And she just teaches, you know, like our Thursday classes with me. And like, so does Schwan, and so do I. And, you know, even like our one of our other instructors, like tournament director, we just have like, it's really, really incredible. And I think it just shows how dedicated we all are to the mission. It's, in that, yeah. And it's like the, the best mission that I could imagine. I mean, for the longest time, I, I've talked about like the next poker boom is getting more females into the world of poker. Like why, why are, you know, why is my podcast audience 97% male, right? Like let's get, why are we benching women for this like beautiful mind sport where like, it's just, it, it should be accessible to everybody. And I think there's a lot of marketing and branding and obviously real life logistical issues that kind of come into play as it relates to like uh, having babies and raising children and like all that side of it where you just don't have enough time to pursue a hobby like in earnest. But still like it, to me, it's just, you know, y'all are doing the work that really matters in growing poker. And so, yeah, I know a uh, doc who's in my, yeah. my Slack, Slack channel. Amazing instructor too. Right. Yeah. She's, uh, she's actually been coming to like, um, poker power hour for the last year and a half or so. So I'm very, very proud of her getting out there, teaching, doing the work of making poker more accessible and bringing in more women to play this game of poker. That's just a great game. And yeah, so that's my, my little spiel on the work that y'all are doing. I think it's just, I, I couldn't be happier that somebody out there is doing it and, and having success too, right? It's not like you're just floundering around. You're actually, you know, making, uh, making progress. Well, the funny thing is, you know, Poker Power was started by business women and not by poker players, right? So it's like, you know, the founders of our company are like in the class. You know, and like trying to like, um, we're trying to teach them how to play poker while they're like rolling out this mission. So it's been amazing being with the organization and streamlining, dealing with women whose forte is in business. It, um, it, it had to be that way. I it think, had to because- be that way. Yeah, it could <laughs> If it were poker players trying to start the business, it would have not have gone as smoothly as it's going, I promise. Probably, yeah. But to your point of getting women in casinos and of these um, hyper-powerful, competent women, um, my uh, boss, our general manager um, and director at Poker Power, Erin Leiden, um, who is incredible, and I believe she's given two TED Talks, right? And she's just one of these very, very accomplished women. Uh, And you know, and she gives a lot of our videos and kind of represents the power and composure that, you know, we want to stand for. And she was terrified of playing poker in a casino, like absolutely terrified. (laughs) And we were in Vegas. Right. And it was like, I was like, Hey, you're in Vegas the same time as me. Let's go, you know? And she was shaking in her, you know, I would say shaking in her boots, but shaking in her heels. Uh, Cause she's like, also like, you know, super fashionable, but anyways, and we, you know, now we're thinking about rolling out a program where literally, we, which I piloted with her, where, you know, we sit behind you and we just kind of like take notes in your hands. Obviously you can't advise, like we're, we're playing the role of the girlfriend, right? Like you see at the casinos, you know, sit behind you. You just have someone who's there with you. So you're not going to a scary casino all on your own. 
And then, um, so you're playing more consciously at the same time. I'm just kind of, you know, as I'm sweating, I'm just taking notes of your cards and then we discuss it later. Yeah. The, the girlfriend sweating has always been a strange thing to me in live poker oh. too. There's, I remember at commerce and there was this dude, he played, he played poker every day, probably 12 hours. And like his girlfriend was with him like every day for 12 hours, like just kind of sweating him sitting right behind him. And I was like, my, does, doesn't that get boring? Like, I feel like that would get so boring. I don't know how to play. My worst thing is I always want to like help the girlfriend. And I remember like one time I was at Hollywood Park Casino in Los Angeles. And this girl was like sitting behind her boyfriend who was not a good player. And, you know, he ends up losing and they're getting very stressed out because he's losing. Right. And he ends up losing all his money on like an ace high board me as kings and multiple people go all in front of him. It is very clear someone has an ace. Okay. This is apparent. And he calls with Kings and he loses all his money. And the girlfriend turns to me and she goes, did he do the right thing? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, and he had a 7% chance of winning. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know. Like, how do you, it's like, um, so all the time, cause it's like, and a lot of times they try to be friendly to me because I'm like another girl at the table, right? But then it gets very awkward when like the boyfriend and I are in hands together um, because usually you don't, you see that more um, more frequently at the lower buy-ins, right? Where people are more likely to be making mistakes. You know, it's it's not like, um, it's it's just not as common at like a 5'10". Uh, it can be depends on the five ten. Well, yeah, <laughs> depends yeah. on the five ten, but yeah, you're but so it you're, happens all the time at like a two three. Yes, like every every single hand, pretty much. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you yeah, so you see a, a lot of that, and um, yeah, and I and I find that to be very funny. Yeah, kind of put on the spot there. Um, did he play that okay? And you're like, uh oh. <laughs> no, like like, like, like you're, you should not. He play, he was terrible. Okay, he was a terrible poker player. Um. And I remember there was like an, an, a different hand with a different couple where the girl was being like super smiley, super nice, super friendly, super sweet. And then I stacked her boyfriend and her face. She went like ice, you know, and she was like, how could like almost like how could I do that to them? Like, where's by the way, he I flopped quads and I checked and he just started betting. So it wasn't like my fault here. Um, and well, yeah. you don't even have to, you don't even have to qualify it because like by the nature of you sitting at a booker table, your job is to take everyone's money. But yes, I, I see how that could get uncomfortable. <laughs> it can. And that's something that we're trying to like, you know, foster a poker power is that really competitive spirit. Cause we've had women who have like won like, you know, tickets to like a, we have like a charity tournament that we work with. Right. And they feel so bad for having knocked out one of the women. They say, can I give her my ticket? And we're like, that's not the concept here. This is about like embracing the win and like, you know, and trying to like climb the ladder and all this stuff. It's like having that competitive spirit, which is really difficult because a lot of women and including myself, when I first got started, they want to play poker for social reasons, right? They're not necessarily motivated. Um, not all of, you know, just some of the, you know, population, they're not motivated by the big win. They're motivated more like, oh, this sounds fun. And I want to play with my girlfriends. And I think that's a natural entry point because that's how I started as well until I got into it. Yeah. And, and I mean, 
Yeah, they just have to understand, like, this is the game. This is the point. This is the purpose. We're in this. It is a competition, right? And at the end of the day, we're here to beat each other's brains in. Um, But be friends, like, away from the table. Or when we're not involved in in a pot with each other. We can be nice and friendly, but when we're involved, it's like stone cold, cutthroat, let's go to war type type situation. I've had women ask me point blank, why would I ever bluff? And it's just, it just shows like there's, there's such a big gap, you know? Why do they ask that question? Because um, I think they don't understand that you're, you're playing to win this. You know, you're not playing to past time and hang in there. Whereas I think then when you're just, just beginning, you're just trying not to lose all your money. Right. Does it, does it have anything to do with like the deception element of the game? Like bluffing being related to like maybe lying or deception. We've had a, we had a very great speaker and uh, she's a very successful woman who also plays poker. And she said, you know, as women, we are taught to all like, especially men too, but especially as women, we are taught to always be so honest hard on our sleeve, very genuine. Right. And she's like, that is not always the best strategy in business. Sometimes, you know, you want to uh, play your cards close to the best. Yeah. You, you have to, to maintain edge because like the people you're playing against are trying to gain an edge somehow. Um, just in poker and in business and in life. Absolutely. So we, you know, the more I think we teach at poker power, the more we find um, how it becomes relevant in business and absolutely like how important uh, it is. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight and they know what you have. Too loose and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always 
being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have seventy thousand hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month, and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. What are some stories from Poker Power of people progressing that you're, yeah. you're proud of? One of my students, Kim Coles, um, she played, it's, it's that charity tournament that we work with, right? But I believe that um, first place, I don't know if it's 5,000 in cash or 5,000 in gift cards, but um, she never played poker before, never played a hand of live poker before. This is all digital, it's all during COVID, right? But she was very, very uh, good student coming to our classes. And all of us instructors play that tournament too. So she's up against, you know, regular poker players as well. She won first place. So that was absolutely amazing. I believe she's now um, training with us as an instructor too. So <laughs> she's yeah. like, "Yeah, this poker thing—it's fun. I want to keep. I, I want to keep doing this." Yeah, I wanted exactly. And so we're like so proud of that. And then um, even just when we talk to our women, you know, like there's this one um, woman and super nice, super shy, you know, just like a really quiet, like earnest, you know, um, personality. Right. Um, and she said, you know what, if you had told me when I first started this, that I would get anything out of poker for my life, I would have never believed you. And now not only does she play poker, you know, in our classes and our community games, but her company now has a weekly women's poker group. And she participates in that every single yeah. It, yeah. You, you got to experience it. Once you experience you it, 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 it clicks. It's like, oh, I get it now. I see how this is related to all the other things. Yeah. Um, my father. Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. My father has two, two sayings. He says, one, everything I learned about business, I learned from the poker table. Two, in business, you never get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm jealous of y'all, by the way, for traveling around and doing events and all this stuff. It sounds like fun. I'm, I, I've, I've been in this pandemic for too long. Um, yeah. when, when the pandemic started, the podcast was like sort of new, you know, it was like four months right. old or so. And then now it, we're closing in on two years and like, I've barely traveled. I've barely gone anywhere, barely had any live interaction with other human beings. All my private coaching is digital. All my course, yeah. course stuff is digital. Just 
these podcast interviews, they're all digital. It's like, uh, I, I, I'm so envious of you all out there traveling around, having fun. Somebody who's listening to this right now, Matt Savage, what are you doing? Like, pick me up, send, put me in coach. Like, let's do something on the WPT. Get me out of the house. I'm like going yeah. insane. That's my, uh, that's my call out. That's why putting it out there in the world for somebody and seeing uh, what happens. <laughs> totally. Yeah, Matt Savage, if you're listening, I'd love to be a commentator. <laughs> hey, hey, one person at a time, Savage. <laughs> She's got enough good things going on for her right now. Let's let us let us talk to Brad first. Um. <laughs> you know, it's funny, on the subject of commentary, um, so Melanie Weisner, uh, you write the professional book where she um, helped us a lot with their curriculum, and I was working with her too. And when we do show clips of poker hands to our women at Poker Power, a lot of them are really, really old poker hands and they're really old school. And I asked her why that is. And she says, the commentary is simpler. You know, she said like nowadays, you know, you talk, you listen to um, the commentators talk about a hand and it's not like, oh my gosh, he's got a straight and a flush draw. It's like, you know, this is a hand where you have just so much equity. Like, how can you ever think of folding? You know, it's, it's like, it's just so much more technical, which is great for like people that are really into poker and studious and, you know, makes it, um, you don't outgrow it that way, I think. But in terms of getting more beginners into the game, I think it would be great to kind of um, go back to that, uh, or even the way they did the main event, like just a lot of very simple commentary where it's not too difficult and it's explaining what's going on rather than adding another layer to it, which I think is how it is now. And being more entertaining as well. You know, like yeah. the, the, the point, the point is to entertain the audience, right? Not bore them to tears, uh, bore, yes. bore them to tears. And Norman Chad came on the podcast again. I don't know the time frame. These, everything blends together, uh -huh. uh, but he came on the show and he said that like looking back on his commentary for like the moneymaker WSOP run, he's like, I'm just so ashamed of how little I knew, but like. I think the thing is for all the beginners, I mean, that's like the entry point. That's like what spawned the moneymaker boom. And it was in part through the commentary of, you know, Norman Chad and, uh, lawn. Is it lawn McEachern? I, I, lawn McCarran. Lawn McCarran. I don't know why I said McEachern. Um, lawn McCarran and Norman Chad. And, and like, it wasn't like super technical. It wasn't super advanced, but it brought a ton of people into the poker world. And this is like, we have to bear in mind, what the purpose of these ventures are. And if the purpose is to bring in more people, we have to simplify the commentary to make it more entertaining, more understandable. And the people that are already in the poker world, they don't actually need the commentators to start talking about like the ranges and the in-depth equity discussions because they have a high level of understanding all that stuff anyway. So yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I, I was just kidding earlier, Matt Savage, bring in Amanda too for, for the commentary. Just don't, don't leave me out in the cold. I, I need to get out of my house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheesy poker jokes, you know, and it's like, we talk about like, don't get married to your hand. And I'm always like, marry people, not cards, you know, just like stuff like that, where it just kind of keeps you going. Um, we're actually starting to do um, on Twitch uh, for our Friday games. Um, this week, I'm actually going to be co-hosting. Usually it's with Doc, um, where for our poker power game, for our beginners, these are not people playing, you know, uh, as you would expect, um, for our beginner women, we stream it on Twitch and then we have 
us as instructors commentate on it um, in a way that's uh, for that audience. Yeah, that's for a, the beginner audience. Yeah, that, that's a good um, program and platform and way to teach, I think. And what, what platform are you using, by the way, for the players? Which? Oh, no, uh, poker, platform, poker platform. Oh, poker platform. Currently, we're using the Poker 2 app. Um, we're, poker Power is in, is in the process of developing our own app, but I cannot give you a timeline on that. So eventually, we want to be able to have our own platform. So in the meantime, yeah. there's an app called Poker Castle. And Doc, Doc saw it actually last week during Poker Power Hour, but Poker Castle, basically it's got a, a functionality where you can invite people in and yeah. then like the instructor or the coach has like God mode on. So like they can see everybody's cards at the same time. Really? Yeah, it's actually, and the UI, the interface is like really clean and looks really nice. And that that to me has been like um, just a really good up and coming project and, and also it was developed by like a single developer who's a female in germany i think too so again i think you you guys connecting i think you have a lot of synergy there that would be very useful um for commentating specifically because like as the coach you kind of like god mode is very important so that you can see what everybody's doing and yeah. um see the mistakes another another feature they have too is like if somebody folds, then they can have God mode on themselves so they can see what everybody else has and see what everybody's doing so that they can like learn um, while the um, hand's going down. Then there's a replay function where you can like replay it back and give feedback at every single spot. So yeah, it's just a really cool platform if you haven't cool. checked, checked that out. Oh, thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, I'll, I'll run it by our team. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and plus, uh, like normally when I do these meetings and I like, shown software pitched on something yeah they almost always end horribly horribly they go horribly wrong um it's just like uh i'm like god oh, this is a waste of my time like why why are we doing this but this what's one the was, worst thing you've been uh pitched? Uh, i'm not gonna they, they might be listening i'm not gonna I, i'm not gonna go in depth but I, there's just some things that i think are maybe good ideas in theory or maybe good ideas by people who aren't really in the poker space but then the practicality of it is like, yeah, this is not very practical for the audience. So yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to kill anybody because I, I do think it's important too, that you try solving, the, solving these problems and come up with new projects and products and software, even if they're not all home runs, enough of them will be useful that it benefits the whole ecosystem. Yeah. So going back to the commentary aspect of that on Twitch, where can the listener of Chasing Poker Greatness find this Twitch stream? What's the URL? URL, um, it's either poker power, poker power with an H. I'm not sure yet because we're um, going through some branding. Basically, if they go to our website, pokerpower.com, and scroll down to the very, very bottom and click events, the link's right there. And that's poker, P-O-K-E-R-P-O-W-H-E-R. We're actually uh, in the process of changing just to straight power. So that's oh, brand new. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so because it's going to be poker power. Yeah, I know, because it has been with the H. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the future, look forward to poker power, just straight power. And you don't have to listen to me mangle the name because I never heard anybody pronounce it. And I think pretty sure I called it poker power for like six months before somebody was like, no, it's just poker power. I was like, oh, oh the, <laughs> the reason. H is I, silent. I, I don't run the like marketing stuff, but this, maybe that's one of the reasons behind the change. Probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so 
we'll, we'll close up this, this round two uh, with you on here by asking some lightning round questions. And right. just like the first time, they're not very lightning-y. Um, they can take some time if we need it. Uh, what's a purchase you've made in this past year that you found to be impactful to your poker game? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I got a coach. Um, and he was a steal, <laughs> to be honest, and amazing. And uh, I can't remember the website I found him, but his name is John Bradley. And uh, he is like on one of these little stables. And uh, he's incredible. And you know how I knew he was actually a good poker player? Because uh, in Mexico, I've been playing a little bit on GG, right? And I had him, I recognized his name and I had him marked as a really good, as an aggressive reg, right? And you can, on GG, like shows winnings. He's like 1.5 million in winnings. And um, what's been so enlightening is how much he goes through data, right? And he's just like, you know, a crunch the numbers kind of guy. And it, some of the things have been fascinating, have been absolutely fascinating that he's Like taught. what? Like what? Two big things. One, he experimented with, so right now it's really fashionable, especially the high levels to limp the small blind, right? To complete the small blind. So what he did is he tried that. He has all of his tens of thousands of hands. And, um, and then he tried it compared to raising with his junky hands, the small blind, right? When he raised with his junky hands, he averaged like a negative 0.25 big blinds. Which is good. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, better than so, negative 0.5, so that's good. Right, so when he raises his junk hands, he's like at a small loss there, right? Mm -hmm. When he limps his junk hands, and you can see the graph, it's just like, like complete straight downward trajectory, like down negative bond in it. Like it just, it was like shocking seeing the graph. And I, you know, it, obviously this doesn't apply if you're playing like the $1 million high roller bowl type things or $300,000 high roller bowls. But um, when you're playing $55 tournaments, you know, you might not want to be adopting everything the pros are doing. And then the thing that for me personally was very enlightening with my poker game is so I don't like, basically, you know, I was rating saving the cutoff with enough hands, but on the button, I wasn't, right? And I think I was actually raising like less hands on the button than I was on the cutoff or very close, right? And I said, yeah, because no one's going to give me any credibility and they're just going to re-raise me because um, they know I'm button raising, right? So that's kind of how I get into my head about it. And then they re and they three bet me from the smaller big blind and um, and then I feel like I have to call because the whole leveling game there. Right. And he said, he said, honestly, if you look at the percentage, the small blind and the big blind three bet you collectively, it's 25%. So 12.5% each, right? 25%. And he's like, that may seem like a lot. And in my mind, I was like, that's it. That's it. Like I thought they were doing it like 35%. Cause sure. like in my mind, you know, I'm just kind of, well, you're biased, you're biased. biased. You, you, you feel it more when you get three bet than when it just goes through. And that's what he said too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You feel it more. Right. And you remember it more. And he's like, also 12.5% each means that there's going to be a lot of good hands thrown into there. 
You know, like maybe they have like a few light ones, but that's going to be very, at least half, right? Weighted yeah. towards actual good hands. And he said, you know, when you're playing against the general, general population, he said at best, they're bluffing at the right frequency. Most people are under bluffing. Right. And so just especially, like, especially out of the big blind too. Yeah. Especially, right. Especially out of the big blind, all these things. So um, that's been really, really great uh, speaking with him about it. Um, so I would say that's probably been uh, my most, my best investment. And it's great that when you have the data and you have someone that knows how to walk you through it, that's a big caveat, right? I think a lot of people can get ahead, but don't know how to interpret it really. That's like a whole nother skill set, which I'm still learning. Um, is it just, you can take all your emotions out of it and all your uh, bias out of it. Well, you can try. You can neutralize oh, well, them yeah, to yeah, a I point. Know, um, I know, I know. <laughs> it's still like uh, the, in practice, you can, and then you still have to execute on the strategies that you know in the arena when you have anxiety and pressure. And that's like a whole nother, that's more performance issue than it is like a tactical issue though. But um, yes, the data is like everything. I think that all of my training now is very specific to analyzing massive amounts of data, understanding what populations are doing, and then creating strategies based on what people are actually doing. And I think it's really good that in a poker, uh, private poker teacher, somebody that's willing to experiment and willing to learn and willing to measure and analyze what's going on over the long run, instead of just using like anecdotal evidence to back up um, any sort of strategic suggestions, because like we need to be way more scientific than I think we typically are in the poker community, measure things and then see if like practically this makes sense. And most of the time, at least in my experience, and I've been I've been playing this game as a professional for most of my adult life. And there are lots of things by analyzing the data that are not intuitive that are, you just don't yes. have visibility of when you're just in the arena. Um, you have to kind of look at the zoomed out perspective to really upgrade how you think about these situations. Right. And something, you know, that he was saying on that note is like, sometimes there's a difference between what it makes sense that you can teach to a large population of people versus what's actually optimal play. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you, you just, I mean, we both know as, as instructors, you just have to, you have to make something that's actionable um, yeah. without overcomplicating and injecting too much complexity so that people can't, <laughs> people have the information and it's better than a more simplified strategy, but they can never do it. So like, it's not valuable in the least bit. Oh yeah, I literally my whole reputation at Poker Power is I'm the teacher that tells everyone to fold, right? Like that's just like my thing, you know? It's like, I try to make up for it by being like bubbly and outgoing and nice, <laughs> right? And I am the strictest teacher at Poker Power. And like, when we introduce like which cards to play, right? I always say like, hey, whenever I get in an Uber car, they say, hey, what do you do? I say, hey, I got a book about poker. And they say, great, how do I get better at poker? The answer is fold. You're asking that question. You are probably not folding enough camps. I, I did a, a Q and a for the Herzdeman group maybe mm -hmm. last month. And that was one of the questions was like, what do I do? Like, what, what, what do I do to get better at poker? It's like, and my answer to that is, and will always be 
like understand your preflop strategy, <laughs> spend a yeah. lot of time um, committing your preflop strategy to memory. Um, don't just like feel like you know know it because you've got some grids that are like, you know, you've printed them out and they're like in your desk drawer. You looked at them for five minutes and then just totally discounted them. Like that's yep. why that's why everything starts for me with preflop bootcamp in my my students and my audience. And like I will I won't coach any player that doesn't have a strong fundamental preflop strategy. Like I just it's part of the process for me is like if this is like learnable right? Like this shows you're willing to put in the energy and learn these 65 grids and understand how poker is supposed to be played at the first decision point in the tree. And if you can't invest energy doing that, you got no hope any deeper in the tree. Like you just got no hope, right? Like if something is learnable in this game, you better commit it to memory. Like there's no excuse. Yeah. When I first started playing poker and, you know, I was very fortunate that three months later I entered my first poker tournament, my one first place. Well, what happened in those three months? You know, I, I made 180 flashcards of which cards to play in which seats. And that was it. It's not like, you know, I had good bet sizing. It's not like I knew good tells. It's not like anything like that, but it was just, I made these 180 flashcards. They were color coded with stickers and I just would drill them on which cards to play in which seats. And when you're just trying to beat a daily casino tournament, a lot of times that's enough. That's enough to, you know, at least get you past the first 50% of the field. It, it's a fundamental, it's a foundational strategy uh, upon which all the other strategies hinge. And a uh, little metaphor was there was a Golden State Warriors game. I, it was five, six, seven years ago. I can't even remember many of the details. I know it was a playoff game and Clay Thompson broke the three-point record, um, 14 threes or something like that in the game. And... I saw somebody ask the question of how many dribbles did Clay Thompson take in that game? Like when he caught the ball and shot it, like how many dribbles in between those 14 three-point shots? And the answer was he took one dribble, like one dribble. They were all catch and shoot. And when somebody asked like, what, what do I do to improve at basketball? Well, I can tell you Clay Thompson is probably practicing his shot over and over and over again, just catching it and shooting yeah. it. And like poker, Preflop play is fundamental, so practice it until you get it down. Um, and you know, I could go in depth about like all the problems it creates downstream of like you play too many hands, you're going to be overfolding, you can't manage your range as well because you've just got too many combos. Like if you think about the small blind versus the big blind, right? This is always a tough spot to play because you have so many combos to manage. And like if you're doing that at every single spot at the table. Yeah, clearly it's going to be very, very difficult for you to have success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, and I see what you're saying in that it makes your decisions not as solid down or it does. And that's something that like people can't really people don't always wrap their mind around because you don't get direct feedback, right? Like Clay, he gets direct feedback, right? He like he the shot clanks or he makes it. So you know. Um with preflop strategy, like people will ask, Well, how did I play this hand on the river? And it's like, well, you made four mistakes getting to the river. So like we could talk about the river, <laughs> but like that's not going to bear much fruit. Um, we need right. to talk about how you got here in the first place, right? Absolutely right. And the whole as played, right? <laughs> then, then when you do, yeah. As, as played. As, yeah, as played. Yeah, when you got <laughs> yourself into this mess. Exactly, exactly. What's, it's interesting like as played just used as a qualifier because I think like it means that there's some awareness that they made a mistake at an earlier point in the tree, 
Yeah. But if that's the case, then like, why are we even bothering to look at this hand as played? Because like, we're we're kind of making the we're accepting that the strategy that they chose to deploy is acceptable up to this point, just by virtue of analyzing the spot. So like as played should just get thrown out the window and like, yeah, let's not even look at this because like, this is just not good enough to look at. Um, we need to like look at spots where, uh, you know, look at the situations that you're actually messing up to, so that they bear fruit instead of these spots that just whatever, you should never be in it. So like, what does it matter if we, we break it down or we don't. Right. Like that's the thing, like everyone, um, enjoys like, you know, what do you do when you got seven, four spades and you have like the funky gut shot or something like that? It's because you're, you know, in the hand with like a marginal, you know, that's why your decisions are going to be a lot more wonky and it's going to be harder to navigate and all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we, I I told you, I got us lost in the lightning round. That's okay. Don't know where where we're at. Point though, um, before we get more in lightning round, um, I'm sorry. When I, uh, sometimes I get asked, especially by women, like, how do I get more confident, you know, going to the casino, going or whatever tournament, how do I get to the table? Cause I'm scared. I really believe knowledge is power. You know, if you already have that first decision figured out what cards to play, the preflop fundamentals, um, it's going to help you so much. And two, uh, uh, another bit of knowledge, like if you're playing like the one, three game. Yeah every single player sitting there is most likely a fish. So <laughs> again, <laughs> that, that should help the confidence level that like most, no, nobody that's playing there has much of an idea that's going on or like, you know, 10 to 20% of people. So carry that with you too. That, that should help you feel a little bit more confident as well. Um, what's a, a poker related thing that other folks rave about that hasn't worked for you? Not a big, uh, I don't use pot odds too much, you know, and I feel like, when you're, I mean, I understand the importance and like, it will, you know, help with like some decisions, but like whenever we teach our poker math lesson to women, you know, a lot of times they feel like they need to master pot odds, right? They really, really need to get it. But I feel like, especially when you're playing a tournament and that's what we, you know, talk about at Poker Power, it's not just about getting the right equity, but it's about so many other things. Like maybe, you know, like with the Paul Waskahan, we just talked about, like, maybe you think you have a skill edge and you'll be, you know, better positioned in a different way or like, you know, maybe you have a ton of chips and even if you're getting the right price, you don't want to be committing all your chips in this situation. So stuff like that, I think um, when people are really, really married to the math, I think that there are other things when you're playing tournament poker that want to factor into your decision a little um, more highly. And also, you know, when you're looking at how many outs you're having, well, then you might have bluff outs too, right? Like maybe you know, here's your likelihood of hitting your straight, but you know, you can rep the flush as well. So you can kind of create your own math that way. My, <laughs> my, <laughs> my, all the students in my community are just like, uh oh. <laughs> she, she's talking shit about the pot odds. That's going to be, oh, it's going to be pro- problematic. Um, I, I think like in the cash game streets specifically, like pot odds, pot odds I think. What's interesting about pot odds is like even my super high level guys that play 1K and L for a living, a lot of times will mess up pot odds. And I think it's, I think it's actually hard for humans to wrap their mind around pot odds. Like when you're getting three to one that you're supposed to lose 75% of the time and you just call anyway, if you think you're going to win like 30%. 
Um, or like the other side of it, uh, bluffing, like how often does this bluff need to work um, in order for it to be profitable? That's another like pot odds calculation. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of pot odds. It's <laughs> pot odds are my thing, Amanda. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I'm never getting invited back on the podcast, everyone. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I think that like, for very beginner and um, early entry level players, especially in tournaments, maybe pot odds don't play as big of a role. I don't know. I'm not willing to make that statement, but I'll accept your statement. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> <laughs> They're like fires, like burning within. <laughs> <laughs> um, have, have you ever strongly believed something uh, about poker only to change your mind later on? And then what led to that change besides pot odds? That's fun, yeah, right? Um, yes, actually, yeah. It's actually not that hard. Um, when I first p- played poker, I thought body language, not a big deal. Not a big deal. And the more and more I play, the more I've completely changed my tune on that. Um, and, you know, to me, it all starts with how you pick up your cards. Because nobody unless they're like leveling and stuff, but like nobody at like a basic poker table um, looks at a pair of aces and studies them and like holds their cards up. It's like, hmm, wow, I got aces. What they do is they look at the aces and they put them right back down because they don't want anyone to know they have aces. But when they're kind of studying their hand, they got like jacket of clubs, you know, and they're like, can I play this? Can I play this right? And, you know, just even, and then there are other things too. And like when I'm playing online, I really, really factor in timing tells like immensely. Um, and there are so many decisions that I've done differently now based on um, tells and information that previously was not part of my game at all. And even when the time my book came out, you know, I said, like I interviewed uh, Joe Navarro is like a body language expert. It's like dabbled in the poker as someone who could speak credibly about body language. But I said, you know, this is not something I really incorporate to, into my game. Like at all, you know, I was more of like a pre-flop flashcards kind of person, charts and things like that. Um, and now I've just completely changed my tune on it. And I also think that just understanding as best you can the like MO of the person you're playing against, like the psychology, you know, does this person like to put pressure on people? Are they the kind of person that wants to put you into a spot? You know, because I, I think myself, I naturally, like with that, what we we're talking about with the being three bet and the small and the big blind, I naturally am thinking, oh my goodness, you know what? They're trying to like, you know, be over aggressive because I lean aggressive, you know, and not everyone's like that. And just trying to really be able to like get in the heads of people and all that body language does is it doesn't tell you how good a player's hand is. It tells you how good their assessment of their hand is. And, and so yeah, it's all about getting their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a data point that ought to be utilized. And Absolutely. it's kind of strange to me that people don't utilize it um, more often, it's especially in a li- live poker too. It's hard to teach. And you know what? I think when you're first playing, you have so many other things in your headspace, so many other things to think about. Yeah. One, you're like, I don't know if you really have room for it. And then two, when I was first playing poker, you know, someone could have been like jumping up and down and like, you know, doing twirlies. And I wouldn't have known how to interpret that. You know, like it's, it's just like things that um, 
it's very, very hard to teach. I think it's a natural part of just poker progression over time is like the more integration of these other data points. And it's, it's a benefit of preflop bootcamp that is hard to describe, but people feel it when they experience it. It's like so obvious, but like the more things that you can automate and not think about, um, the more bandwidth you have for other data points that are coming at you. And also the more bandwidth you have for thinking about post-flop decisions. So like in the natural progression of a poker career, you start out being, it's like you're drinking water from, you know, a fire hydrant, right? It's just so much information. You just can't, you can't sift through it all. It's overwhelming. And then over time you start, um, you know, bucketing certain things into place and you start ironing out your strategy and figuring out where all the buttons are and how to like, handle your chips and do all the things. And that just frees up more bandwidth for you to think a little bit deeper. And then as you progress, you're just always thinking a little bit deeper. You're always more relaxed and able to add in other data points that are coming to your way and see if, you know, you want to prioritize them over other data points, which is like mostly what poker is. It's just um, analyzing and prioritizing data points as they come. So yeah, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to me that that's part of part of the progression. And I think it only happens like that. You can't just start yeah. out um, getting all this information and being able to like focus on physical tells from like day one. There's an experience that's necessary there. Absolutely. And you can't even really judge good, bad hands, you know, yet. Um, so someone's interpretation of whether the hand's good or bad won't really be as relevant. Um, I usually, I like your fire engine example. I, I usually say poker's like driving right? Like when you first try to drive, there's like so many like buttons and controls and it's like, you don't know what to do. And then with time, you know, you're chewing gum, listening to the radio, uh, which that's my I metaphor. Think, I use that all the time too. Uh, fun, funnily think, enough. Um, that's really funny. Uh, go on. Well, it probably works better for you. Cause that's at least how I think it is. Cause I never got past that first phase. I don't have my driver's license. I am terrified <laughs> of driving. So I really identify and relate with that being like, there are way too many buttons and I don't know what the other car is going to do. So yeah. I, I find it terrifying. Yeah. My, my metaphor is typically like, I have such a horrible sense of direction that like, you know, yeah. I could close my eyes. You could spin me around five times in my own house and I would get lost, like just yeah. not know where things are. But like I go to a, a new city, don't know where anything is. Like if I'm going to the grocery store, it's like, uh-huh. don't talk to me. Don't interrupt me. I'm like in the zone. Don't start the radio. No podcast. I'm focused fully on figuring out how to get to this grocery store and get back to the place where I came from. It takes all of my energy. Um, but then, you know, after a few weeks of going there and coming back, you just kind of make that mental map. And then all of a sudden, you know, we can, we can listen to the music and listen to a podcast and, you know, you can just do it subconsciously without investing much bandwidth. And that to me is like, yeah. So well done. Uh, great minds think alike. We, we got the same metaphor going and for the listener, this is like, absolutely. Like I promise you, even if you can't visualize it, when you experience it, it just makes sense. And then you get it. All right. So with that said, Final question here, actually two final questions. Are you working on any projects that you haven't mentioned yet that are near and dear to your heart that you'd like to tell the listener? And even if, even if it's poker power, then we'll talk more about that too. Yes. It's not poker related. Cool. Um, Yeah. Um, 
I think this is going to go over horribly with your audience, but um, what I am extremely passionate about is astrology. I've been working very diligently on my astrology YouTube channel. I do chart readings for people and I analyze celebrity astrology. And I say like, hey, you know, what happened with that relationship? Were they compatible? Were they not? Why are they still married? So I am so passionate about astrology and I feel like it's another way of getting into people's heads. And I Botfeld, how, how did we go from like this pure <laughs> analytic poker space to, to astrology? To Virgo moon. Okay. Um, Pisces <laughs> is like creative and Virgo's analytical. So I got, I got both, but basically I think it's both that real interest and in just kind of seeing what drives people, what makes people tick. And I, um, and so that's like my number one passion right now. <laughs> astrology. <laughs> and, um, if there, if there are some aspiring astrologists in the audience right now, uh, yes. The final final question, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness learn more about you on the World Wide Web? On the World Wide Web? Um, my inst- uh, I'm not very updated with anything, to be honest, but uh, my Instagram's good because I don't usually private it. My Twitter, I go back and forth. Um, my Instagram's Amanda Botfeld, B-O-T-F-E-L-D. Um, and uh, sometimes on Twitter. I um, Where's the YouTube? Where's the YouTube channel? Oh, but that's just, that's not related to poker. Who cares? We can tell oh, them anyway. Channel, yeah, my YouTube channel is Celeb Astrology. Uh, Celeb Astrology. Uh, mostly it's like clips of celebrities. Every once in a while, I'm on there myself and do a cameo. If you want to learn about the stars, um, you said that your this you this podcast is 97% men. Uh, something like that. Something like that. All right, mine's 99% women. So. <laughs> <laughs> So you're speaking to like the 3% in the audience right now. To the, yeah, to the 3%, to the 3%. And I have some videos that are 100%. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just something that I am so incredibly passionate about. And, you know, I posted a picture on my Facebook of an ephemeris, which is what you use to like look at the planetary movements. And one of my poker friends commented, like, I thought preflop charts were hard. <laughs> actually, like I have it like, and you can see how technical it gets. Like, this is what my, that is right here, this is what an ephemeris looks like. I know your podcast viewers can't read it, but they can Google it. And yeah. these are all the degrees of the planet, right? It's, it's, it's challenging. It's quite technical. Yeah, so, there's, there's a lot of information there that puts, yeah. puts Tom Chambers' uh, classic $2,000 PLO book to shame. That was just- Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And it's just another thing that- you know, a whole nother world that's just very immersive, gets your mind going, gets you thinking about something. Um, and I've just been so happy to be head first. Awesome. And I think that for the listener, uh, maybe, maybe you're not into astrology, but I do. it is very important that you chase the things that excite you, that you can immerse yourself into, that, you know, gets you up and going day after day, because like, this is the point of life. If we're not doing this as often as we can, then what's the point, right? Right. And it's nice to have something that's so different than poker. Because at first, for a while, it felt like everything was just all poker. I would never know what that feeling is like. <laughs> you would never ever. know that. <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah. day from like wake up to night is just all poker all the time. Except for there was a stretch where I took edibles every night for about six months and was like, no. Nobody oh, messaged you me into astrology, right? <laughs> and you should, yeah, yeah. But it, it, has, it has you ask higher questions. Like, you know, I can say, hey, your charts, you know, predisposition to, predisposition to leadership. Well, what does leadership mean? That's really going to depend on person experience and so many things. It'll say, hey, 
there's, you know, different kinds of intelligence. And so stuff like that, you're just kind of using, whereas poker is, um, you know, so technical. Astrology is very technical too, but it's also very big picture. Yeah. Well, best of luck to your, your, you. your astrology, astrology path and poker power and, you know, your class at UC Santa Monica, all the things you seems like, oh, and you're getting married next week too. So yeah, quite, quite the number of things, uh, since episode number one and excited to have you back in, in the future and hope Thank all you. is well. We'll catch up and see how all the things are going. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for uh, listening. And yeah, uh, it's been a great time. My pleasure, Amanda. Take care. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.